The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. It says this, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, Well, we are starting a new series today called Sacred, called Sacred, and and in this series what we're going to do is we're going to explore three practices uh, that the church considers sacred. Uh, and I say that, and if you've maybe been coming here for a while, or, or even if this is your first time here at Acts Church Leander, you may be thinking like, this doesn't strike me as the sort of church that is going to talk about sacred things, right? Like we kind of pride ourselves on being a little bit more down to earth, like we're in a storefront for goodness sakes. You know, like we're, we're just not, like I've told many of you that if you ever see me in a clerical collar, prepare to meet Jesus soon. Like that's just, that's just kind of how we roll here. Uh, and, and we've done that pretty intentionally uh, because oftentimes in the church we can get really focused on the wrong things and treat the wrong things as being sacred, uh, so, for example, I was meeting with a couple this last week uh, who's, who's, I was doing pre-marriage counseling with them, and they, they didn't have a venue yet, and I said, hey, you can feel free to use our church building, uh, and they laughed, and they said, oh, no, 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 we couldn't do that. Uh, my, my grandma, you know, she's, she's an old church lady, and she would never go to a wedding that was in a church like yours. And I was like, wow, all right, that's cool. You know, like, I mean, there's people in the developing world right now meeting for worship underneath trees, but that's fine. Um, so, so there's that, right? Or I remember... Um, a couple years ago, I was inviting a guy to worship with us, and he hadn't been to church in 20 years. And I said, hey, man, you know, if you want, you know, we were talking, I said, if you'd ever like to worship with us, we'd love to have you. And he said, well, what kind of music do you have there? And I said, well, you know, we got the, the guitar and the drums thing, you know how we do. And, and he goes, nope, nope, not doing it. Church should never have that. And I was like, bro, you've been out for two decades. Like, I'm not sure you can sit in the critic's seat right now, you know, like, but, but he did. But see, this happens, right? We do this as church people where, where we really kind of focus in on things and make certain things sacred that actually probably shouldn't be. And yet, there are things that are sacred. There are things that are part of our life as the church that have a certain holy otherness to them, that are distinct, that are unique. And so in this series, we're going to look at, at three of those practices. We're going to look at, at the liturgy or worship, what we do here on Sundays. Uh, we're going to look at baptism next week, and we're going to look at the Lord's Supper. And see, the reason these, these practices are truly sacred and they matter a great deal is for two reasons. Uh, first of all, 
uh, because God commands them of us. And secondly, because they actually have an incredible power to shape us and to form us as people. And so today we're going to look at the liturgy. We're going to look at worship. How does worship shape us as people? Now, as soon as I say that, uh, someone may be thinking like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, we're going to listen to a sermon about church at church. Like, just when I thought church couldn't get more boring and irrelevant, that's what you're going to talk about? Like, there's real stuff going on in the world. There's real problems in the world. The election is in two days, and you're going to talk about the liturgy? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, And here's why. Here's why. Uh, So my community group here at Acts, uh, we're going through a series right now uh, in, in our community group where we meet midweek, uh, where we're, we're looking at, at how we use our time, what it looks like for us to use our time. We're all young, young parents with, with little kids, and so we don't have time. Uh, and so we're saying, well, how do we best use it? And so we've been following this series that's based out of a church in Atlanta. And so we watched these little 20-minute videos of this pastor of this church in Atlanta. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, this pastor, at the beginning of his message, made a simple but very profound point Uh, on the front end of his message, and he said this. There's a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. There's a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. Now, this isn't rocket science, right? Like, you guys know this, right? Like, just think about this, like, exercise, right? You invest a small amount of time in exercising over a long period of time, it adds up. It matters. It changes your right? 30 minutes a day, every day, week by week, over time, this will have a massive effect on your well-being, right? Exercise, you can't just like work out four hours once a year. That's not how it works, right? It's got to be every day, small amounts of time. Or if you're in school, right? You spend 20 minutes a day studying each subject. By the time exams come, you're ready to go, Right? I'm seeing a lot of parents laughing with their high schoolers. Good. Um, Or or same with with spending time with your kids or with your spouse, right? You spend time with them day in, day out. The monotonous little things end up in a long term. You can't just go on one big vacation. It's about the day in, day out moments that end up shaping your relationship with them. And so we all know this, right? I'm not telling you anything that that you don't know. We're, We're creatures of habit that regular practices shape us as people. And when we participate in those regular practices, they they shape us towards particular ends, right? So if you work out 30 minutes every day, you're going to be healthier. If you study 20 minutes every day, you're going to do better in school. If you spend time with your family for these certain periods of time each day, you're going to end up having healthier and fuller relationships. And so my point is this. We talk about the liturgy because if we want to be a people that can approach the real problems in our world with love, and with grace, and with truth, then we have to participate in practices that shape us to be able to do that. If we want to be the sort of people that have the the moral character to address concrete needs in this world, we need to engage in practices that shape us towards that end. And what we see in our text for today is that, that public worship, the liturgy, shapes us to be people of truth and love. And so our goal in this practice is what we call godliness. That's what we'll see in our text. That's the first thing we'll see is that our goal is godliness, that worship shapes us towards that goal, and that habituation makes the difference. All right? So our goal is godliness, worship shapes us towards that goal, and habituation makes the difference. All right? So let's get going. Uh, Our goal is godliness. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. 
says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right, so this set of verses here is taken from the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, and 1 Timothy is a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. He's a senior leader in the early church. And he's writing a letter to a young pastor in the early church named Timothy. And these are his instructions on how to pastor the congregation uh, that, that God's given him. It's been a huge book for me that I just cling to. I, I need it. Uh, and so here we see that, that Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, if, if you go back a slide if you would, Steve. Uh, he speaks to Timothy and he says, hey, train the family of God in, in the words of faith. When it says brother we can just read family of God, brothers and sisters, uh, train them in the words of faith and in good doctrine. And then he says, don't waste your time on silly things, but spend your time training towards godliness. And in verse 7, right? And why, did, why should we do that? He says, because, verse 8, because godliness enables you uh, to live well now and shapes you to live into eternity. And so here's what we see in these, these verses here, is that God has a goal in mind for you, that God has a goal in mind for each of us. Uh, the philosophical term for that is, is telos. It's a Greek word for end goal. That God has a telos for each of us, and his end goal for us as his people is godliness. That's what we see, that he wants to train us towards godliness. Now what does that mean? It means that he wants us to be like him in his character. That just as he is loving and true, and gracious, and just. He wants us as his people to be loving, and true, and gracious, and just. And so God's tell us for us is godliness. And the way he trains us towards that end, he says in verse 6, is through, um, excuse me, <laughs> it's through, uh, through good teaching and through good doctrine. In other words, he says, in the Bible, by regularly engaging in his word, he shapes us towards godliness. Look at verses 9 to 10. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. And so as Christians, our end goal is godliness, verse 10. And so it's to this end, the word end in Greek is literally telos. So towards that goal, we toil and strive. How do we do it? By being shaped by God's word, by regularly engaging with God's word, by regularly encountering him as he speaks to us. And of course, we can and should do that outside of public worship. But a primary way where God promises to shape us through his word is right here, is in the liturgy on Sunday mornings when we gather together as his people. Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, when my wife Melissa and I first started dating, uh, my parents, you know, they, they wanted to be sure that, like, she is the, you know, the, the right gal for their baby boy, right? And so, so they, they, they were asking the questions, trying to figure out if she's up to snuff uh, to, to date their son. And, and so I remember the, the first question my parents asked, which is really the most important question to see whether or not a person is really of character, uh, really has integrity, really just someone that should be dating your child. The first question they asked, I said, Gabe, is she a Green Bay Packers fan? And, uh, and I said, well, of course. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't date anyone else, right? 
and, and so that was my parents' first question. My grandparents' first question was a little bit different. Uh, my grandpa said to me, he goes, uh, Gabe, is she a Christian? I said, yeah, grandpa, she, she's a Christian. And then my grandpa got very serious, and he said, yeah, but, but does she have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I said, yeah, she has a personal relationship with Jesus. But then I started thinking, like, like what on earth does that really mean? Right, because I, I don't know about you, but I actually have a lot of friends who have a personal relationship with Jesus, but their lives kind of look like they've never met him, right? And so I told my grandpa, I said, Grandpa, I don't know. I think actually a more uh, important question would have been nowadays is, does she go to a local church? Does she go to church? And my grandpa was taken back by this. He said, Gabe, when I grew up, everybody went to church. The way you tell whether or not someone was committed to the faith was if they had a personal relationship with Jesus. And I would just say, statistically speaking, that the reverse is true nowadays. That in Central Texas, 70% of people would probably self-identify as Christians. It's actually probably more than that in Central Texas. And around 17% are part of a local church regularly. Right? See... God uses this time to shape us according to his word, to shape us and train us towards godliness. And so in our text, Paul insists, we'll see this just coming up, Paul's going to insist that regularly taking part in worship matters because it shapes us towards godliness. It just does. Look, look with me at verses 11 to 13. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. All right, so, so Paul says to Timothy, hey, train your people towards godliness through the word. And then in verse 13, he gets very specific as to what that looks like. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. That's Paul's sort of longhand version of saying, devote yourself to gathering together for liturgy. For liturgy. Because when we gather together, what happens? There's public reading of Scripture. We read the Bible. We pray together. We speak God's truth to each other. Our, our teachers teach us the Scriptures. Paul's saying, hey, take part in the liturgy regularly. Now, I use that word liturgy, and that may be weird to some of you, if you uh, maybe grew up in uh, a different tradition or, or whatever. Uh, but let me just break down the term liturgy real quick. It's, it's, uh, it's two uh, Greek words kind of put together. The first word is laos, uh, which means the people, uh, the people. And then the second word is argos, where we get the word uh, agrarian, argos, which means a work. And so a common misunderstanding of the word liturgy, actually, is, is that it's a work of the people. That somehow when we get together on a Sunday, we're offering something to God. Uh, but actually, a better way to understand what the word liturgy means is it's a work for the people. It's a work for the people. That somehow when we get together, God is, is working on us and, and shaping us and doing something to us. That liturgy shapes us. It's a work for the people. Uh, there's a, a philosopher I'm a, a big fan of who's got this whole project that he calls the Cultural Liturgies Project. Uh, and his whole point is that just like we as the Christian church have a liturgy where we gather together for worship, he says our culture is, is filled with liturgies. And when he, when he talks about cultural liturgies, he, he refers to them as, as rituals of ultimate significance. And he says there's practices that are just sort of implicit in our culture uh, that shape us towards certain ends. 
And they're not inherently sinful practices or inherently wrong, but their end goal is not godliness. Their telos is not godliness. Then they're trying to shape us towards certain ends. And they're practices that we habitually uh, participate in. Uh, so, for example, I just think about it like this. Like, if, 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 all, if the only practice you ever participated in was work, what's the telos that work is shaping you towards? It's shaping you to see, well, all you really are is what you produce. Or if, if the practice of, say, viewing advertising, which we see all the time every day, it shapes us to see that all we are is just what we consume. Right? Or, or if I think of, of media, if we were, you were watching news all day, what's that shape? It says that all you are is who you align yourself with. Or technology, right, which in many ways connects us, but we're, we're finding out more and more how much it seems to isolate us and pull us apart from one another. See, see different practices shape us towards different goals, towards different telos. And in one sense, there's obviously not a lot we can do about those things, right? Like, we got to work. Got to do it. Can't avoid advertising. It's just a reality. Okay? We've got to use technology. It's just part of our world right now. And again, these liturgies aren't sinful, but here's my point. When they're left unchecked, when we don't participate in any other practices, they start to shape us towards an end other than godliness. And our end goal, God's end goal for each of us here, is godliness. So let me give you just a a light example of how this happens. Uh, The other week, uh, I was playing in a, in, a, in a soccer game with my team, uh, the Crop Tops, and, and we're playing. And, uh, and this moment happened where, where a guy had like a really physical challenge on, on one of my teammates. And the ref didn't call it. And I just like saw red. Like, I know, nice Pastor Gabe, not a violent man, you know. Uh, but I just like, I lost it. I started yelling at the ref. I started yelling at the guy who, who hit my buddy on my team, and I was just like, in my head, I'm thinking, like, there's this whole conspiracy against us, and the world hates the crop tops. I'm just like, you know, it's like in this, like, dark place, right? And now, on the other side of the game, sitting outside of this, this whole situation is just silly, right? I, I can objectively stand outside that moment and say, like, who cares? No one got hurt. It's men's rec league soccer. Your name's the crop tops. It's not that serious, right? Like, it's not worth getting upset about. But what happens? See, the the practice, the liturgy of a soccer match shapes one for competition. Just the very nature of doing it forces me to see my team as the good guys, those guys as the bad guys, right? True story. My son Titus, three-year-old son Titus, comes to to our games every week. And afterwards, after every game, he goes, Dad, what was the name of the bad guy team you played again? Like, every time. That's just what happens. That's just how we see it. Now, that's not an excuse, right? Right? But I'm just showing you that this is how cultural liturgies work, right? That, that we can get shaped towards ends that are not godliness because we regularly, habitually practice in things that are aiming us towards something else. Does that make sense? The great uh, scientist, he actually invented the scientific method, and, uh, and theologian Blaise Pascal said this, man's sensitivity to the little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are the signs of a strange disorder. And he's right, isn't he? See, this is what happens when we get caught up in practices that aren't shaping us towards godliness. You ever get more upset at sitting in traffic than you do at the reality that there's kids being sexually trafficked across the world? Do you ever get more upset that your fast food order got messed up than the fact that millions of people don't have access to clean water? You ever get more upset that your neighbor didn't mow his lawn 
than the fact that he doesn't know Jesus? See, man's sensitivity to the little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are the signs of a strange disorder. This happens. We get shaped towards ends that are not godliness. And so what does our text say? Our text says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't lose sight of God's telos for you. Don't lose sight of the end goal that he has for you of godliness. And so throughout the centuries, the church has gathered together on Sunday for the liturgy, God's work for the people, that we would listen to the words of Scripture, that we would receive his word taught to us, that we'd receive his forgiveness, that we'd connect to his people, both past, present, and future, that we might be sensitive to the greatest things, might be sensitive to the greatest things, that we might be shaped towards godliness. And it's not just a one-time thing. What we'll see in this text is that it's about being habitual about it, that that does something to us because practices have the power to shape us. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. Uh, Look at what he says to Timothy and his people to do, verse 15. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. It says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them again and again. We come back to the public reading of Scripture again and again. We come back to exhortation, to teaching. Why? End of verse 15. So that all may see your progress. So that we are more and more shaped towards godliness. See, when we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, a sacred space opens up. A sacred time opens up for God's word to work on us, for God to shape our hearts through his word. Uh, There's a story that when um, the Soviet Union took over Poland, uh, Stalin set up a town called Newtown in Poland. And and his whole purpose, it it was actually in Russian, but I don't know Russian, so Newtown. Uh, And uh, and it's called Newtown. And and his whole purpose in starting this town was to to convince the Polish people of the promises of communism. He said, hey, listen, like, this this isn't going to work. Or he's like, I'm not going to be able to to totally transform your your country overnight, you know. But listen, guys, I'm going to set up this one town, and you're going to see how great communism is through this one town, through Newtown. And so he puts this nice new factory in there, and they have these broad streets and and plenty of parks and spacious apartments. And Newtown is supposed to be, this is the promise promise of communism. That's what what it began as. But as the Soviet Union began to fall towards the end, Newtown ended up becoming a sort of hotbed of solidarity uh, for the people in Poland that were resisting communism. It demonstrated the failure of communism to work in even just one town. What's my point? See, when, when we gather for worship, we show the world a different liturgy. One that doesn't shape us to be producers or consumers or tribalistic or hyper-individualistic, but instead it shows the world that those things don't work. That God's shaping us to be like him. To be true and loving and gracious and just. And of course, we aren't perfect at those things, right? And this isn't a, a perfect recipe to show up on a Sunday. It doesn't happen that way. But they shape us more and more. And so that's why Paul uh, says this to Timothy in verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself 
and your hearers. Now, how is it that, that Timothy, keeping a close watch on himself and on his teaching, end up saving both himself and his hearers? Like, it, you know, if you're a Christian, you know there's only one person that saves us, right? It's Jesus. It's not a teacher. No teacher saves us. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, keep a watch on yourself and you're going to save people. This is actually his point. Paul's point to Timothy here is that all of his teaching, all of their worship, should point to Jesus and what he's done for us. And the same is true for us, that when we gather together, that all of our reading of God's word, that all of my preaching, that all of our worship should point us to Jesus and what he's done for each of you. That's what it's all about. That's what ultimately shapes us. And in fact, uh, sometime around the fourth century, the church realized, hey, you know what? Like every day, of the year should be focused on Jesus, on his person and his work for us. And so they developed what's, what's called the church calendar, which I, I said earlier, we, we follow loosely, uh, loosely. And, and the idea is that throughout the year, we follow the story of Jesus. That the beginning of the church calendar is coming up in three weeks here, uh, new year, uh, is, is Advent. And that's where we focus on the fact that Jesus came first as a little baby for us and that he's going to come again uh, as a conquering king. And so during the season of Advent, we anticipate and recognize God's presence with us through the person of Jesus Christ. And then following Advent comes Epiphany. And during Epiphany, we recognize this, this idea of light, that, that Jesus is the light of the world, that he's, his light has shone on us, that God's light has shone on us through the person of Jesus Christ. And then Epiphany leads us into Lent. And Lent is these 40 days where we focus on the fact that, that we're sinful, that we're broken, and that that led Jesus to the cross. We focus on his sacrifice for us, that he died for each of you. But we don't stay there, of course, because after the Lenten season comes the Easter season, where we recognize that he rose from the dead, that we have hope for eternity, and that we have new life right now. And then after the Easter season, that leads us into Pentecost, where we really look at what does it look like to live into that new life right now? What does it mean to be the people of God today? And we stay in the season of Pentecost all the way up until Advent again. It's all about focusing us on Jesus and what he's done for us. That's what shapes us. And of course, interspersed in that calendar are important holidays of God's specific actions in the world. And I mentioned earlier, today is one of those days. Uh, is All Saints Day. It's one of my favorite calendar, uh, holidays in the church here. Because All Saints Day is this day where we remember those who have gone before us in the faith. That each of you here who maybe would, would call yourself a Christian, that, that you've, I'm sure, have had uh, mothers, grandmothers, uh, aunts, uncles, teachers, mentors in your life that have, have shaped the faith in you and are no longer here on earth but are now with Christ. And so we don't want to forget that. We want to recognize that God has brought us together as his people and that that hope is one day for us too, that we'll be in glory with him. And see, and that's the whole point, that in Jesus we're, we're going to be made godly. That it's not just through liturgy or, or practice, but one day his power and his grace is going to radically transform each of you. He's going to shape you in a radical way. And he, right now, he does it bit by bit through his word on days like today. So when I was working at a, a church in Minneapolis, I was just west of 
East, that's the direction. Uh, it was east of Minneapolis. Uh, part of my responsibilities there were to do shut-in visits, uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's, it's where uh, a person in the church goes to visit someone who's maybe part of the church community uh, but can't make it on Sundays due to, due to illness or due to, to old age. And so one of the, the people that I would visit was a guy named John. And John was, was an older man, and he was a in a nursing home that was really in inner city Minneapolis, not a great part of town. And I'd go and visit and take him communion every month. And, and I'd go to visit John, and, and here he is in this just like junky nursing home. It was like a 10 by 15 room. That's all he lived in. Smelled like stale urine, just tile floors. And I'd go in to see him, and every time I'd go in to see him, uh, he'd ask me who I was. Every month, I had to reintroduce myself. And every month, he had to reintroduce himself to me, and he'd showed me pictures of his family, that sort of thing, because he had, he had dementia. And his mind was just going, going, going. It got worse. I was there for a year, and it got worse each time I went to see him. Uh, and it was tough, but, but we, we'd go into the, the communion liturgy. And, and he'd be confused at first. And then I'd start the Apostles' Creed. And he'd hop in, and he would hit every single word. And then I'd, I'd give him communion. And then we'd say the Lord's Prayer. And he'd hop in, and he'd hit every single word. And see, it was in those times with John that I learned really the power of the sacred. That, that like, when all else is stripped away from us, when things, maybe we don't have it all together, when our life's maybe a mess, that, that God consistently shows up in his word, shows up for you again and again. And so today... On All Saints Day, uh, John has, has passed from this world to the next. Uh, I'm going to light a candle in memory of him and what he taught me. And think about the, the hope that I have because he's in glory with Jesus now. And one day, you'll be there. I'll be there. And so I pray you see God's grace in Jesus through his word today. I pray you see it in this liturgy. And I pray you see it in light of his saints that he sent to you that are now with him in glory. Let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you that when we were far off, you drew near. Thank you that you come to us again and again in your word. That you shape us towards godliness. And God, may we not see that as laborious or burdensome, but may we see that, that you and your spirit are gently nudging us and shaping us to be more loving and gracious and true and just, to be more and more like you. Lord, as we remember those who've gone before us, may we uh, seek to reflect the light that you gave to them this day. May we show the world who you are and what you've done to save us. We pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.